between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Trauma is a fact of life. It does not, however, have to be a life sentence, said by Peter A. Levine. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryant, producer of Express Yourself, and Star Self Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Dia Hichivali, and I am one of your hosts for today's show. Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit, with a donation, please visit www.btsya.org. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on the Voice America Radio the largest radio network in the world. We have an amazing show planned for today, all about medicine and life after trauma. In segment two, Nihal and I will be interviewing Dr. Alexandra Chorin, author of Getting Through It, Life After Adversity, Change, and Trauma. In segment three, Nihal will be doing his segment about medicine and life after trauma. And now I will be staring sharing stories specific of life after trauma, all, all pertaining to the trauma endured by victims of domestic abuse. So domestic violence is a topic that is very common, a lot more common than people think it is. And a lot of people don't really fully understand the effects of domestic violence trauma. Some effects of domestic violence trauma can include PTSD, substance abuse, depression and anxiety, isolation, eating and sleeping disturbances, as well as difficulty trusting others. Domestic violence trauma is often portrayed in movies as well. For example, yes, last night I just watched a movie about that Julia Roberts acted in in the 1990s. And basically it was about this woman who was basically young in her 20s and she decided to marry an older guy and at first the movie started off normal but then it showed all the abuse that the woman had to endure 
that a man had to make her do so many things, and if she messed up on one of them, like, she would result in abuse. And this was a very toxic environment that she needed to get out of ASAP for her physical and mental health. She basically designed this complex plan, which included her taking swimming lessons, and because her husband didn't know she could swim. And then when the opportunity came, she swam away and ran to Iowa. However, this husband soon found her, and this movie really portrayed the difficulty in, first of all, escaping from the situation, and also dealing with the trauma afterwards, because she was so scared and constantly could never feel safe until he was actually killed. So, how about domestic violence trauma stories in real life? Often, movies don't portray things exactly how they are in real life, so it's really important to hear real-life stories to really get an accurate representation of how domestic violence actually is. Here's a story about Roya. Almost 20 years ago, Roya was hospitalized three months after her husband doused her in turpentine and set her on fire. She suffered horrific injuries and was in the hospital, but then she realized that it was her right to leave her abuser. She received excellent support from police and social workers, and she is an example of how it is possible to find happiness after abuse. This is the story told by her. My family never knew about the abuse until I was in the hospital because my ex would portray me as the best thing in the planet, so everyone just thought that we had a really healthy relationship. He never left me alone with anyone, so I never got the opportunity to talk to them about what was actually going on. Because I was such a quiet, outspoken as a child, people thought that if something was wrong, I would say something. We were married for about five years, and he was extremely controlling from the moment we met. But it really started after I had my first child, and it just escalated from there and got worse. This is something to know about domestic violence because a lot of the time the abuser doesn't really show his or her true colors until after the person is married. So it makes it a lot harder for them to leave. Back to the story. I had no idea I even had the option of leaving. I got married at age 14 and came to Australia from Afghanistan. About three days later, I had no family or friends there. The only people I was allowed contact with was his family. I wasn't allowed to go to school or have a job. And the story he was feeding me and the children was that he could do anything he wanted to us, and we ended up believing him. I had no idea that the police would get involved or even care. If I knew that I even had this option, I would have left a long time ago. That was the main reasons I did not attempt leaving him. When I found out I could leave, it was after he tried to kill me and I was in the hospital. But when I did find out, I made up my mind and never, ever went back. I was in the hospital when my family thought something wasn't right. They spoke with a hospital social worker who then, my husband, was telling them about how I was burned. He told hospital staff that my scarf had caught on fire while I was warming myself, as I'm a Muslim. What he actually did was pour turpentine on me and set me in fire. So this is such um, this is such a story that is so violent. And this is actually common among domestic abuse because a lot of the time the abuser will try to cover up the story and expect the victim to just play along. 
Back to the story. My husband got to the the hospital social worker to come and talk to me. But when he talked to me, my ex was there. He was there all the time, and he would never leave me alone. He would speak for me if anyone had questions, and he lied, telling me he had to be in the room according to our religion. The social worker told him he only wanted to talk to me about my children, and he would come to talk to him as well. However, he was watching me through the windows even then. However, the social worker quickly saw this and forced him to leave. I told the social worker that even if I did need help, there was nothing he could do. The social worker told me that he could get the police to talk to me and tell me exactly what my rights were. It was then that I decided I was never going back ever. I gave my statement to the police and we had an intervention order taken out against him and he was sentenced for 12 years in prison. I now celebrate where I am in life. I accomplished all the things that I wanted to, and I'm very proud of all I have done since I left my ex. And I am very proud of my children through our family. I feel safe now, and I feel secure. This story shows how this strong woman, even though she had such a traumatic experience, and such a traumatic experience from the young age of 14, she was strong enough where she has survived and right now she feels like she's in a happy part of her life, which just goes to show that there is always hope at the other end of the tunnel. So if you're wondering about what suggestions are to leave these traumatic domestic violence situations, according to Roya, whose story I just told, a lot of partner homicides happen when women try to leave, so it's really difficult to leave. She encourages women to put a lot of support in place and make sure that they have a safe plan and find out what agencies are there to help them. This is like the woman in the movie. She made such a complex plan and she made sure that the plan would make it so that she would get escape safely. But Roya also adds that it's also important that the community as a whole must believe women and actually try to help her and create a safety where women can leave a bit easier. So another question that is commonly asked about domestic violence is does it happen to men as well? And in fact, it does. Traumatic domestic violence has happened to Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is a really famous actor and he was actually, by his ex-wife, he was lied about saying that Johnny Depp beat her when this actually had been proven to be false and she was actually the one who was abusive in the relationship. This is never to be taken lightly regardless of whether it's against a man or a woman and because of this he has not been able to act in the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean or a lot of other acting jobs because his reputation has been tarnished. So if you're wondering ways that women or men dealing with domestic violence trauma can overcome it, it's important to know that healing is really important when it comes to overcoming trauma. For many, it just means that they have to release their past traumas and recover, which can be difficult. They must focus on themselves because negative thoughts and feelings are often overwhelming But when survivors take their attention away from the negativity and focus on what their needs are is when the healing really happens. Next, it's really important to allow survivors to develop closer relationships with other people because they have to find their support system because it's a lot easier to heal with a support system than by yourself. 
Finally, it's really important to ask for help. It really shows how brave you are, and it's not a sign of weakness at all. So what you can do to find help is to find a support of fellow survivors who understand you. You can also contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233, or chat live online at www.thehotline.org. Domestic violence is not an issue to be taken lightly, and it's something that can cause trauma for a lot of people, but through the proper resources and guidance, it's really possible to overcome it and get on the road to recovery. Unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment. Please show your love for more segments by donating on btsya.org. Keep listening for more as we interview Dr. Choron in the next segment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm Dia Hitivali and today's show revolves all around medicine and life after trauma. In this segment, I will be interviewing Dr. Chiron. Dr. Alexander Chiron is a multi-published author who has written 26 books. She holds a doctorate degree from Valdosta State University and is a master in teaching from Seattle University. She loves carefully building learning plans for people to understand esoteric subjects. From fortune-telling to surviving adversity and confronting death, Charon's books stretch across the human experience to touch different audiences. In her spiritual life, Charon leads a coven and trains seekers to the craft of Wicca. Since 1999, she has worked as a fortune-teller, surviving thousands around the globe at parties, celebrations, as well as one-on-one with apprentices. Having studied clinical pastoral education at the University of Washington, Chiron has worked as an interfaith chaplain at Harborview Hospital and the University of Washington Medical Center. Hardship dictated the topic for Chiron's latest book. As in 2015, she was diagnosed with aggressive stage triple IC, triple positive breast cancer. 
After undergoing chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery, her husband left near the end of her treatment, throwing her life into the turmoil of divorce. Having found her pain and her medicine, Choran seeks to refresh education from the school of hard knocks in the book Getting Through It. Reclaim and build your life through adversity, change, or trauma. The most important book she's ever written, Sharon hopes this work will nurture the resilience in millions of trauma sufferers worldwide. Check out her book page at www.lleyllyn.com slash product and check out her author page at com slash author. You can also connect to her on Twitch at the username Queen of Diamonds. We are so excited to have you on the show, Ms. Chiron. Welcome to Express Yourself. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Of course, it's so great to have you. So I was wondering if I can call you Alexandra instead. Absolutely, Dia. Go ahead. Okay. So the first question I had was, what are the sort of readers that could be helped by your book? Well, this book is all about trauma, and I think that pretty much everyone on the planet went through some sort of trauma during 2020. Unfortunately, a lot of people lost loved ones, lost jobs, lost living spaces, and so I think there's a lot of people out there who could definitely benefit from my book, particularly people who have gone through divorce, loss of home, loss of job, loss of loved ones, definitely, and also people who are suffering from long-term illnesses such as cancer, because of course cancer doesn't take a break for global pandemics. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that 2020 was a really tough year and a lot of people would benefit from reading your book because it'll help them. um, Like, it's kind of hard to recover from a traumatic experience as many face in 2020. So reading your book would actually really help with that. Oh, for sure. And and there's something interesting about grief, too. Grief is compounding. So when you lose two things in one year, it's much more difficult to deal with than if you had lost those things, you know, in, in a time space that had been spread out a little longer. So unfortunately, the compounding grief of losing so many things during 2020 can definitely increase trauma response. Yeah, I definitely agree. I felt that with my own life, too. Whenever something bad happens, okay, like, you'll get over it at some rate. But when it's, like, a few bad things in a row is when it just, like, feels like it's exponentially worsening. So I totally feel that. Um, And the next question I was wondering is, on the same topic of grief, what makes grief worse and what makes grief better? Well... One of the things that definitely makes grief worse is trying to avoid feeling the feelings. Unfortunately, uh, it, it doesn't feel good to be grieving. And many people look to have some kind of distraction or numbing from the pain. Sometimes it feels like too much to bear. And unfortunately, people can turn to substance abuse And that kind of just presses pause on the grief processing instead of allowing you to move through it and beyond it. I think one thing that helps the grief processing is being able to express yourself. And, you know, of course, for some people that might mean talking to a trusted friend or to a therapist. But 
expressing yourself doesn't necessarily mean that you have to communicate this message of grief to others. You can also express yourself through art, through writing yourself a letter that nobody else will ever read or journaling. There's so many ways of self-expression, just ways to process through that grief is the best way to get through it. Yes, that's so true. And I've also seen like that so many times in my life. I feel like for me, I try to just like feel emotions, but, and I feel like that's why I'm able to get over things really fast. But with other people, for example, an example of this is my dad. Whenever something bad happens to him, he always ignores it kind of. And I feel like that's why it just still bothers him later on when like for someone, if you just like feel the emotion, it just gets better a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. I have a loved one who unfortunately has struggled with addiction for much of her life. And it started in her teenage years when she experienced a lot of trauma. And then when she became sober a couple dozen years later, it was like she was a teenager again. She had kind of pressed pause on her own personal development. So she has to play a lot of catch up now. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I feel like it's really difficult when, like, when something happens to you and then it feels like you're behind everyone by so many years, and that feels, like, really tough to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah, so, like, within facing trauma and in all that context, how does someone find a new normal in their life? Well, the first step is the hardest step, which is letting go of the old normal. I think so many people struggle so hard to write the overturned cart, so to speak, that they don't realize that they could just jump on another moving vehicle and move on. You know, I think that letting go is one of the most difficult steps. It means really facing reality and saying, hey, my life is never going to be the same again. And then you can start searching around to experiment and find what your new normal is going to be. But unless you can fully let go of your old experience, you can't really embrace the new. That's really true. And I completely agree with that. I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand in like how someone who like keep holds on to their emotions is usually like they have the same same problem of like kind of going to new normal, if that makes sense. Yes, definitely. I mean, some people can even form a new identity around their grief and that can make it even trickier for uh, for people who struggle with things such as letting go of an eating disorder. You know, they have to decide, well, who am I without this eating disorder, ru- you know, ruling my life? And that's going to require a little experimentation. You kind of do have to go through your self-identity phase all over again. And that can be tough. Yeah, it definitely can be tough, especially with along with the problem you're dealing with. As the example, you mentioned the eating disorder. You then have to deal with the problem of like rediscovering who you are. So what do you think the upsides are from a bad time in life? I think that the upsides of a negative time of life can include uh, being able to have compassion for people 
that you might not have had compassion for before. Uh, as an example, I'm going to kind of share something that makes me sound kind of like a jerk. But before I got a divorce, I'm going to admit, I kind of judged people who got divorced. I thought, well, why couldn't you just work a little harder to save the marriage? Why couldn't you, you know, find an alternative? And after I experienced divorce myself, I was able to find compassion for all those people I had looked down my nose at before and understand that life wasn't really just perfect because I had made it that way. There was a lot of luck involved with how nice my life was before a bunch of trauma happened. Yeah, I agree with that. And honestly, it's, I know you said it's something that makes you look like a jerk, but it's actually, it doesn't because it's part of the human experience. Like if you haven't personally experienced something, it might be hard to imagine how it would feel for someone else. And I can kind of relate with that because when I was younger, I didn't really understand problems like, like depression and like mental health. I was like, why can't people just be happy? Like that type of thing. But then when I went through a tough period in my life, then I realized that it's like, like I kind of understood the other perspective and I feel like it does bring a lot of like compassion within someone after they experience a downside in their life. And Absolutely. And compassion is such a gift for your entire lifetime. I agree. And it's, I feel like another upside to a bad time in life is also you have like a newfound appreciation for like good like good things in your life, like little things that you would have otherwise overlooked. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm just so lucky to be alive. I'm going to be celebrating my 40th birthday on Friday. And I couldn't be more amazed and glad about that. I know some people try to hide away from their age or, you know, ignore birthdays that are big milestones like that. But every day is such a gift. I'm just so lucky that I survived. Yeah, and um, by the way, happy early birthday. Thank you. <laughs> and um, I agree with that. And I really love the mindset that you have, that every day is such a gift. And that's a mindset that I want to embody myself because I feel like a lot of people my age, including myself, feel like, I don't know, we just feel like every day, like just like look for, forward to something like in the future, like graduating high school or something. But I, I want to live like kind of more in the moment like that. Like every day is a gift. There's always something to be happy about. And, and that like kind of positive mindset overall. So yeah. I was wondering if you feel comfortable sharing what happened to you before the divorce. Sure. Yeah, I definitely had a rough few years. It was kind of like a country song, you know, I even lost the dog. But it started out with a pretty rough car accident that gave me some trauma. A, a truck crossed over the double yellow lines and smashed headlong into my car. And I had to, you know, get walking again after that. And then it felt like no sooner had I been over that car accident that I got diagnosed with cancer. It was very aggressive. And it was already pretty advanced. You know, there's only four stages of breast cancer and the fourth stage is incurable. And mine was called stage three C because it had already metastasized to the lymph nodes. And it was basically just almost to the point where it would not be recoverable. 
So that really plunged my life into chaos. You would not believe how quickly a busy life can be turned upside down and put at a standstill. And so I just really experienced a lot during that year because I had to go through five months of chemotherapy and 36 treatments of radiation. And I had to have double mastectomies and lymph nodes removed and my ovaries removed. So it was a whole lot. And right when I was nearing the end of my treatment and I was just four weeks out from surgery, unfortunately, my husband couldn't handle it. And then he left. And, um, you know, after 14 years of marriage, that was that was very traumatic for me as well. So basically just had a, a rough few years there. And unfortunately, these these little negative things that happen in life, they don't wait for you to get over one thing before another thing comes along. <laughs> so I, I had to spend a lot of time processing that. And truth be told, I, I will continue processing grief for many years to come. Yeah, that definitely seems like a really traumatic part of your life, especially because it felt like things kept stacking on top of each other. And that kind of goes hand in hand of the the thing where like grief, when it's compounded, it's just so much worse. So I'm really glad that you got over that, that like that time of your life is over. So one thing I was wondering is what, like what was something that kept you positive and able to get through it as those are really big obstacles you had to face? Well, I, I think that, you know, there's kind of a positive and a negative to living in the moment, like you talked about. I think I was forced to live in the moment, partially because, you know, I wasn't sure if I should plan for my future. I wasn't sure if I was going to be around in eight months, but also because of just the the, the brutality of the treatment. Some of my chemotherapy medications made me so brain dead that I really couldn't think about the future or the past. I was just kind of living in that moment. And at times it became almost a selfish way to live because when you're living in the moment, you're not meeting the moment with a lot of the people around you who are thinking about the past, who are thinking about the future. So part of what I had to do to keep keep to keep it together was focus on my own relationship with spirituality and with my with my gods because that was that was an outlet for me and it was also a, a solid rock that I could cling to during times when I felt like I was a burden to the humans in my life yeah that's so that's so true, because during tough times, I feel like that's when a lot of people like to turn to spirituality. And I myself am a pretty spiritual person, at least I'd say somewhat. So I was really curious on hearing what's the spiritual journey of your life? Like, um, how did it help you through this time? And like, when did you become interested in it? Well, I've been, uh, I was initiated into British traditional Wicca in 2006, I believe. I had been seeking uh, initiation into a coven and training for quite some time after experiencing some sort of supernatural type things in my teenage years and having my curiosity peaked and wanting to be able to control these things that were happening in my life. And uh, strangely enough, we have two cancer survivors in my coven. Uh, my, one of my elders had survived lymphoma just a couple years prior to my own cancer experience. So 
I really was able to have fellowship immediately. When I was first diagnosed, I immediately called him and asked him for spiritual advice for getting through it. I remember the first thing he said was, okay, you've got to watch this documentary about Mount Everest. <laughs> and I thought it was so off the wall at the time, but I realized the metaphor of Everest, you know, climbing this seemingly unclimbable mountain where you could you could find your doom or you could find your own sort of personal glory. And um, I think working with him as my spiritual mentor, as well as just deepening my own experience with prayer, I kind of had... <laughs> I had an opportunity in my life to really go into spiritual retreat. You know, I couldn't do all the things that I was doing previously. So I had a lot of time to devote to uh, expanding my spirituality. I think one of the problems with using, using your spirituality in tough times is that we often will explore our faith during a good time in our lives when we're feeling really good. And then when a bad time comes, we forget about our spiritual tool belt that has all of these tools that we could be using to encounter our grief or our sadness or our anger. And I think that, you know, the, the cancer kind of pressed pause on my life and gave me plenty of opportunities to try to meet the moment with my own spirituality. Wow, that's such an interesting story. And I think that's really true about how in the good times is when you really feel happy and you feel like you're really exploring spirituality. And then when something bad happens, you kind of forget about all that. And you kind of maybe it's hard to even believe in that. So I was wondering about um, if you could tell us more about what Wicca is. Sure. Uh, well, British traditional Wicca might be a little different than some of the other forms of Wicca that are out there. There's Wicca is basically an earth-centered religion uh, that focuses around uh, a goddess and a god pair. Uh, within that category, there's lots of different kinds of Wicca, and I practice traditional Wicca. And what that is, is it's an oath-bound initiatory mystery religion. So very much like the Eleusinian mysteries of ancient Greece, we know that people went through these rituals. We know that they were transformative experiences, that they weren't able to go through the second ritual until they'd gone through the first, things like that. And we know that after the final ritual, they were shown a sheaf of wheat. And that was something that would just blow their minds. And Wicca is like that in that we have our own rituals that work for us, for our tribe, basically. And we go through these experiential rituals to unwrap layers of our own understanding of our gods. We, we worship a specific goddess and god pair of the British Isles whose names are revealed after initiation. And I feel like every year that passes, I'm able to understand my relationship with my gods a little more. Wow, that's really interesting, and I really love that explanation. So another thing that I was really interested in on is if you feel comfortable sharing the supernatural stuff that happened to you as a teenager. Sure, yeah, I had a lot of weird experiences. I think that um, I noticed, the first thing I noticed was that when I was experiencing 
moments of extreme emotion, I had these almost paranormal things that would happen around me. I thought that at first that it was done by ghosts, right? And I, I had candles lighting themselves. I had a glass of water explode at my bedside. All kinds of weirdness was going on. And I went to my mom and I asked her, hey, help me figure this out. I don't know what's going on with me. And she said, well, you know, this is probably a spiritual thing that you got to figure out for yourself, but I'll help you with that if you want. And my parents were so understanding, you know, they would drive me into the city to go practice rituals with druids. <laughs> How cool were my parents, right? And yeah. so I, I was able to learn a spiritual technique called grounding, where you're able to uh, form a connection with Mother Earth and exchange energies, spiritual energies. And that solved my problem. I was kind of scared by a lot of what was going on. You know, you don't want candles to be lighting when you're asleep and you don't want things catching on fire. So I was I was quite relieved when I found a way to control and eliminate some of those startling things that were happening to me. And it gave me uh, an encouragement to want to seek out a coven and find further training so that I could answer this call that I felt to the gods of the Wicca. Oh, wow. That's really interesting stuff that, that it's like, and I kind of understand, like, how that feels to be out of control because I think my mom says that, like, when she was a kid, she felt like that kind of stuff happened to her. And it's, like, about balancing your energies and stuff like that. So how um, are you feeling currently? Do you still have concerns about cancer or your health? I I mean, of course, I've got a the, the, the life of a cancer survivor is very busy. You have to go, you know, get checked up a lot. And I recently had like a little spot on my nose removed because we thought maybe it was skin cancer. So, you know, I'm still a little jumpy about things. I make sure to get my lumps and bumps checked out. But I definitely don't stay up awake at night worrying about cancer recurrence because at this point in my life, I've kind of made peace with life's luck, good and bad. And I know that I can rise to the occasion if and when it presents itself. Yeah, that's really good. And how can, how do you think others can follow your lead? to do something like that and to kind of feel better about trauma that they've experienced? Well, that's that's why I wrote a really long book about it is because there's there's definitely not a, a really good sound bite necessarily for this because there's so many different ways that you can explore yourself. And my book is filled with lots of different exercises because some things that work for some people don't work for other people. You know, you can tell people, well, go and spend time in nature. But if somebody's bedridden, they can't go out and enjoy nature. Or you could tell people to journal and but maybe they're illiterate, right? So I I, I made sure to have a lot of different exercises that would work for everyone to be able to have kind of that Batman tool belt that they could work with. But overall, the one theme is what I said at the beginning of this episode, which was you have to feel your feelings and you have to process them. Because if you avoid and distract or numb, then that's not going to get you through it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like there is, 
there is no one size fits all solution for these types of problems. And it's really, I feel like a personal thing that someone has to kind of figure out what works best for them. Absolutely. And, you know, spirituality too is a thing for some people, they just don't have the same hunger for spirituality that I do. And so some of my spiritual takes might fall flat for those people, but might really light up the spirit of another person. Yeah, that's very true. I feel like my mom and I are a lot more spiritual and my dad is very like rational. So I can kind of see what you mean by that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you say in your book, getting through it, heal rebuild and stay strong even on the worst days and that is so inspirational so I was wondering how do you find hope and courage to do that well I think you mentioned something earlier about how uh, it's hard to find appreciation for the little things and I think those those little bits of appreciation for the little things are important another thing I was thinking of during my trauma uh You know, when I was going through my divorce, I felt a lot of a sense of betrayal by the people closest to me. My husband had left with uh, with my good friend. And so I thought it it felt like everyone was a betrayer. Right. Because those two people were so important to me. They made up my whole horizon. They took up my whole sky. And I was so sad to lose them both at once. And I thought, man, I I just can't trust humans. And then I went on a cancer retreat. It was kind of like an adventure retreat for cancer survivors. (laughs) And I learned how to do rock climbing at this retreat. And one of the things that you do when you're doing rock climbing is you have somebody spotting you called a belayer. And what the belayer does is they, they carefully let out the rope a little bit at a time while you're climbing. And then they, they, they cinch it up so that if you fall, you only fall like a couple feet. You're not going to dash yourself on the ground and die. And what was weird was these were all strangers, but we would all just take turns to belay each other. And I realized there was there's lots of good people in this world who are willing to get my back. It was kind of like a metaphor for life, right? That, yeah, I had been betrayed by two of the people who were closest to my heart. But that didn't necessarily mean that I couldn't find that love and trust with someone else, right? Because there's so many wonderful people out there just waiting to be met. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like when something like when someone hurts you, you feel like you just don't want like in love, like if someone hurts you, you just feel like you just don't want to trust anyone else. And it's hard to let people back into your life that way. And the same thing, even with friendship, if a friend betrays you, you find it hard to like tell them secrets about yourself. So that really makes sense. So On that topic, have you forgiven or made amends with your ex-husband and your former friends? Uh, Definitely. I mean, I don't, I never held any um, animosity really towards the former friend. She just didn't matter to me anymore after that. It was kind of like she disappeared from my radar. And I've definitely made peace as much as I can with my ex-husband. I can't say that that he feels the same towards me, but I definitely still love him as a person and as the father to my children. So I will always hold love for him. I I can't turn off love like a light switch. Instead, I had to transform it into love for my children's father. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's a good way of looking at it. And it's really good to forgive people. And 
so I was wondering, um, do you know the quote, forgive and forget? Do you feel like in the situation, have you forgiven or have you forgotten or maybe both? I think that um, forgiveness is an interesting thing. Uh, it's It's got a lot of places in many faith traditions. Wicca, though, isn't really a turn-the-other-cheek kind of religion. It's not very much focused on forgiveness. I think that instead, I just kind of don't let the person have power over my life. Like my former friend, it's not that I hate her. I don't hate her at all. I don't dislike her. She just is nothing to me, right? And that's kind of a form of self-forgiveness, I think, more than a forgiveness of her. It's not like I I have any feelings about her anymore. And that releases me from the hatred and, and vile bile that I could be feeling otherwise. Yeah, I think that's so true. I feel like holding a grudge against someone, even though it might seem like something you want to do, in the end, it doesn't really... The main person it's really hurting is not really the person you're holding the grudge against. It's more yourself because you're kind of giving out a lot of like negative energy by holding a grudge. So, oh, I think exactly. it's good. Yeah, yeah, and and it's definitely, of course, with my ex-husband, I had to work really hard to just process through all those feelings for my kids' sake, you know, because it's definitely not not good for them to have any kind of harbor any kind of hatred or anger. Yeah, that's so true. And actually, another thing I was wondering is, do you think so? My mom like told me this story once about how this woman, I don't know, I kind of don't remember the exact details of the story. But the message was that like, when you're really positive that you will survive, it will actually like make you more likely to survive. So it actually affects your physical health. And if you're like negative, and you don't feel like there's a chance of getting through it, then it actually affects your like immune system. So do you think that that is true? Definitely not. I'm very much against that because I know a lot of women who fought just as hard, who believed just as hard, who had just as much reason to live and cancer took them anyway. So nope, I don't believe that a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, no worries. It's just a cancer survivor thing. Sometimes we bristle at some things that we hear a lot, you know. Uh, I've definitely heard that a lot from people saying that I'm a fighter and that's why I got through it. But no, no, I was spared for for no good reason other than that nature is beautiful and terrible and has decided to spare me this time. Oh, that makes sense. I feel like it's like a different perspective. Like if you actually like know a lot of people who who were like positive and who weren't able to survive cancer. So on another aspect, how are your kids like how are your kids doing right now? They're 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 hanging in there. The pandemic's hard for all of us, you know. They don't get to see as many friends as they used to, but thankfully we're coming out of it. They've been processing things differently every year, too, because, of course, every year the kids get a year older and they have a, a little more perspective on divorce and cancer and things like that. Like my son was so young when I got cancer. He was three years old, you know, and my daughter was just turning five the week I got diagnosed. So there was only so much they could really understand, even though I was open about the, the whole thing, you know, to their age level. 
But I think each year as they get older, they start to understand a little more about what went on in those few years and, and, and really how close I might have come to not being around. Oh, that's really, um, yeah. So, by the way, um, we are unfortunately out of time for the segment, but I absolutely loved your conversation today. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharon, for coming on to the show. Please check out Dr. Sharon's book, Getting Through It. And also be sure to check out her website at www.llewellyn.com slash author. Keep listening for more as I continue our conversation about happiness in the next segment. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. Today's show is all about medicine and life after trauma. Today I'm going to specifically be talking about trauma during COVID. So as the country look is looking to reopen right now and epidemiologists are anticipating future waves of COVID cases, we must address an equally important type of pandemic. The virus has really affected mental health and has caused trauma-related consequences. Whether it could be from balancing activities of essential work with exposure risk, or bearing witness to suffering or loss, or even feeling anguish or guilty for not doing more during this time. Our society is facing great adversity with potentially devastating consequences. 
Additionally, the trauma of COVID does not stand alone. It layers on top of trauma and grief of watching the death of George Floyd, remembering Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and so many others. It layers on top of the intergenerational trauma of racism rooted in slavery, mass incarceration, police brutality, and black oppression. Trends in online data reveal a mounting wave of trauma as a result of COVID-19. Google searches for terms like fear and worry have actually surged beginning in March. This shows that almost a third of Americans are suffering from clinical symptoms of depression or generalized anxiety, which have currently doubled since the National Survey of 2014. Because racial trauma is currently being exposed alongside the trauma of COVID-19, it's important to distinguish that while these traumas may result in similar symptoms, they aren't really the same, neither are their solutions the same as well. What does a trauma-informed framework tell us about how to respond to this mounting crisis to mitigate aftershocks from the pandemic? According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, trauma consists of, first, an event, like an illness or disruption related to COVID-19. Second, the experience of the event, such as feeling sick, grieving loss, or fearing death. And third, the ultimate effect, which may range from mild anxiety to severe symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. This can predispose people to serious acute chronic health conditions, as observed with other national emergencies and tragedies. For example, prior work has demonstrated that isolation alone can increase the risk of suicidality and chronic health conditions like cardiovascular disease. Additionally, longitudinal follow-up after September 11, 2001, demonstrated that post-traumatic stress of large-scale devastation can actually increase your cardiovascular risk and cause mortality in both responders and civilians. In the case of COVID-19, the children may suffer mental health and lifelong physical health consequences associated with this adverse childhood experiences, such as separation from caregivers on the front lines or exposure to violence in our society or within our homes due to shelter-in-place policies. So, though no individual's situation is the same, COVID-19 has created a shared human experience of remarkable uncertainty, isolation, and hardship. Thus, realizing and acknowledging trauma within our own lives and the lives of others is such an important first step to mitigate its impact. Some previous research has outlined that the diverse manifestations of psychological distress during national emergencies, mainly stemming from uncertainty and fear. Even empathizing with vivid images on the news while sheltering in place could lead to increased anxiety and stress with negative long-term health consequences. However, the COVID-19 pandemic adds a layer of isolation and hardship due to our need to cope with this relatively collective while remaining physically distanced. 
The risk of experience trauma is heightened for certain groups, including frontline clinicians, ill patients, and the families who have lost loved ones. Other vulnerable groups include those at high-risk situations for serious complications of the virus, as well as individuals with limited access to information and care because of socio-structural disparities. For these groups in particular, we need to apply psychological first aid or mental health support to reduce stress and foster adaptive functioning long-term. An example some hospitals have made multidisciplinary mental health teams immediately available to frontline providers, while the New York State is waiving mental health costs. Rehabilitation for recovering COVID patients has begun to include screening for mental health impacts such as post-intensive care syndrome. Moving forward, health systems should use disaster psychiatry frameworks to implement standardizing assessments of primary and secondary trauma responses, along with targeted interventions. Second is to recognize the signs, symptoms, and impacts of trauma. Trauma can impact our neurobiology, manifesting in physical symptoms such as poor gastrointestinal function, loss of energy or pain, and mental health symptoms such as poor memory and concentration, mood swings, and feelings of guilt. Such symptoms were prevalent in up to 7% of the population in China just one month into the COVID crisis. Recently, American clinicians have highlighted how COVID-19 stress can manifest in many different forms in the body. In youth, physical symptoms such as aches or pains and behavioral symptoms such as withdrawal, regression, and agitation can indicate trauma. Unaddressed symptoms of children can also lead to misdiagnosed behavioral issues, increasing the risk of mental health cancer, heart disease, and mortality later in life. Persistent trauma that is not buffered by early cancer, by early intervention and social support can permanently alter our DNA and promote vulnerability to future stressors. As evidenced by Holocaust survivors, psychological wounds can be transmitted to future generations. Individuals can take steps to disrupt negative responses to trauma. The CDC and American Psychological Association recommend actions such as preparing meals with whole fresh foods, mindful breathing, and grounding exercises. Families can have open discussions with children about the pandemic, follow regular routines, and prioritize wellness activities and bonding time. Some examples are resisting re-traumatization by addressing disparities that will leave some individuals or communities to suffer. Like past epidemics, including cholera, tuberculosis, and more, COVID-19 has created such complex trauma and added a layer to pre-existing hardship, driving further disparities. Such disparities have likely paved the way for a larger number of deaths in Black communities who had already experienced high rates of economic hardship, morbidity, and premature mortality. Black Americans experienced double the death rate of white Americans from COVID, yet historically half the number of Black Americans compared to white Americans receive mental health services nationally. The second is community healing and resilience. 
In the aftermath of the COVID-19 trauma's related effect, harnessing a spectrum of resilience from individual and community-level acts to paradigm and policy shifts that fight the inequities of complex trauma will lay the building blocks for collective healing. By addressing the trauma that surrounds the pandemic now, we create fertile ground for trauma-informed healing and recovering in our communities, well beyond when COVID-19 cases subside. While vigilance will need to be identified symptoms of PTSD, there are a number of things we can do to help combat these feelings, including developing healthy coping systems like taking time out of our schedules, validating our feelings, limiting caffeine and alcohol, and attending therapy. For those who find themselves struggling, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs offers resources for those with COVID-inspired PTSD, and individuals can reach out to the crisis text line by texting CONNECT to 741741. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Cell Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Once again, trauma is a fact of life. It does not, however, have to be a life sentence. You can get through it. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself